Hello again from David Dulling on this edition of the LNER Fast Track podcast. Two giants of the East Coast main line. The Flying Scotsman returns to the city where it was built and the daughter of one of its former drivers is delighted to see it. Beautiful, beautiful. Have you touched it yet? I have. It's a shiny beast. Definitely, I'm back with my dad. And we celebrate the 85th anniversary of the 1938 Mallard speed record at Stoke Bank with the great-grandson of the man who drove it up to 126 miles per hour. And when we actually pass the mile marker, I can actually feel the emotion welling up now. I know, I can see. When we pass that marker, then it, it just came out. Yeah. It's just I was, I was in the same place as my great-granddad. <laughs> First, Flying Scotsman, a famous steam locomotive, has returned to the city where she was built. Arriving at Doncaster Railway Station, it was an emotional return, as we'll hear. Back in 1923, Flying Scotsman was the first locomotive built at the Doncaster Works by the then newly formed LNER, a brand which was also first introduced 100 years ago. The City of Doncaster Council and London Northeastern Railway hosted the special visit with support from the National Railway Museum. In 40 years of service, Flying Scotsman broke numerous world speed and distance records and was one of the famous locomotives connecting the capitals of England and Scotland. It was the first locomotive to officially reach 100 miles per hour in the UK and the first to circumnavigate the globe. Well, also there at the event was Molly Jackson, whose father was a proud part of LNER's past. Wilston Samuel Jackson became Britain's first black train driver in 1962 and enjoyed a long and successful career. He also drove the Flying Scotsman. I had a chance to chat to Molly and also Wilston and Eddie, his grandchildren. Any chance to see the Flying Scotsman is great for me because it reminds me of my father. He loved it. He loved the train. As you were growing up then, tell me about what life was like living with a train driver. He was a great dad, first and foremost. He was working shift work, and so we couldn't really shout around the house like most kids can. At certain times, we had to keep it quite down. And sometimes he'd get up and he'd be upset, but he wouldn't really be upset with us because he knew we were children. He came from Jamaica as a young man. He was going to be a dentist, but his father died. So he came to England. The first job he got was as a cleaner for the railways. He went on to be a fireman, and then he became a driver. Most people just left the railways because they said, you'll never make it. They never let any of us become Chinese, Indian. It didn't matter where you were from. If you weren't English and white, you would never be a driver. A lot of people gave up. Oh, loads of loads and loads of people. Why didn't he then? That's who my father was. If he wanted something, then he'd go for it. And he did go for it. And they did. And even the real racist members of the railway began to respect and love him because of it. Not all, but a lot of them. But the first day he came on, the fireman refused to work with him. He said, it's not my me, but they said that if I work with you, it's going to be a big problem. So um, my father said, not a problem, he said, go, go off, you know, it, you know, go and tell the... I'm not sure of the real name for the person he manages, gives out the jobs for the day. The first thing he, he, the controller said to my dad anyway it was he congratulated my father and said, go and get your training ready. Then for him to see that the fireman didn't want to work with him was, I suppose, 
quite upsetting for him, but he didn't show it and he was nice and he was big. The guy was only 19. When he was older, he used to adore talking about being on the trains. He loved it. It was like being in the open. The open. He loved to drive anyway, but driving the train was his thing in the wilderness, if you can call it wilderness in England. But he was out there on those long stretches. We did take him to reunite with a flying Scotsman. Really? Where was that? York. Right. He went up there. He went to the York Museum. Quite tearful yeah. to see him, the way he was touching them. Like, touching the locomotive. Yeah, and he was in the in the driving seat and he was telling us which what he used to do, what levers he had to pull and things yeah. like that. He wanted to show them that you can do it, you can get what you want, but you have to really believe and you have to, you couldn't be just anyone to do this. He often told us about his struggles and how it was hard finding work and keeping jobs, how it was sometimes dangerous for him to work, how tough it was really. What it taught us was a certain degree of resilience and the fact that if you want anything out of life you've got to put the effort in in order to do it, nothing's going to be given to you. Growing up we were told that our family had done great things, how my granddad was a sort of person who would do this, he was the first Blackberries train driver. At the time that wasn't proven in any record books, it's something which we as a family knew but again, it's something which we always try to incorporate in our lives and it was a driving, determining factor of all of our successes going forward. What was he sad about the way that he was treated? Coming from Jamaica to England, I suppose it wasn't what he was expecting, but he looked on the bright side, he always looked on the positives, so he came here to work and that's what he did, he worked. He wanted to be a train driver, he was a fireman to start off with, and he progressed, done his exams and done everything he needed to do. And it, it was that way, as soon as he had a, something set in his mind, he would want to achieve that. It doesn't matter what aspect of life that was, whether that was occupational, whether that was personal. If he wanted to achieve something, he would give it a million percent to try and make that happen. Now, I know equality is not perfect even now uh, for a whole range of, of different people. Yeah. But what do you think he would make of the pluses that we have now, of the changes, particularly in the railway industry? Well, I think he would be happy that things have changed and are not as bad as what they were, but like you said, it's not s still there. We've just got to hope the future's going to change and things are going to be better for us all. He would have been happy with how things are, the racial harmony, which is now, whereas I think in his time, there wouldn't have been too many black or ethnic minorities working in train stations or on, on the railways and now as you go into any train station it's a good healthy balance a more welcoming environment than probably what he received you didn't go into the railways either of you two did you no it was on our minds i actually wanted to go i studied law and went and, and got read a law degree I've actually then got into supporting youth and children in, in social care who need that help, and that's been my calling. Railways would have been lovely, but I think it would have been a lot to live up to with your granddad being that yeah. person and you going into that environment. And what did you do? I got involved with transport, but I, I drive a bus. So oh, you drive a bus? Yeah, I drive a bus right. in, in London, so yeah. I enjoy doing that. I like my customers. It's, it's all good. Great to meet you guys. Thank, Thank you, you very, Thank much you very much for talking to us. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Wilston and Eddie 
Wilston Jackson's grandchildren speaking about their grandfather there. And it was so lovely to see Molly's reaction once Flying Scotsman was into Doncaster Station. Beautiful, beautiful. Have you touched it yet? I have. It's a shiny beast. It's puffing out steam. Definitely, I'm back with my dad. Wonderful. I feel really honoured to be allowed to get so close to him. And if you were going on a long trip, say to Edinburgh, you'd need to fill it with water. You'd be having to feed it all the time. It was hungry. You've been down to say hello to the driver? I've actually, believe I've seen him before, but I think I will go down and yeah. say hello well, to him let's, now. Let's go, and, yeah. let's go and see him. Excuse me, can we introduce Molly to you? Lucky man to be driving this, aren't you? Great, fantastic. You must be enjoying loving this. Yes. Wow, isn't it amazing? I feel the excitement for you, I feel it. Well, as the famous locomotive puffed out of Doncaster Station, I spoke to David Turner, a railway historian, about the significance of the relationship between the Flying Scotsman and the city of Doncaster. A very large locomotive works, and the Great Northern Railway opened it up in the 1850s. Uh, it started building locomotives in the 1860s, but the works was a community. Flying Scotsman is its most famous child. As an academic, I kind of have to be objective about steam locomotives and their place in history, but I have an emotional attachment to it myself. My grandfather used to talk about the locomotive and the train, the Flying Scotsman. I think it looked absolutely fantastic. How significant was the Flying Scotsman class of locomotive in terms of uh, speeding rail travel? It was uh, a a series of locomotives, the A1 class, and that was arguably one of the most powerful locomotives of its time. It, it was designed for heavier trains, uh, heavier services, pushing the boundary that Grizzly did with locomotive design. It was the first locomotive to be officially recorded. Let's go at 100 mile per hour. The officially recorded, you're referring there to the city of Truro, I think, aren't you? Yeah. Which was a great western locomotive. Allegedly, that wasn't yeah. officially recorded. People, histor- yeah, railway people who, who know more about the technological side than me will argue about that one. But it was the first locomotive went 100. And that test run set the scene for later developments that yeah. Gresley would go on to do, culminating in the Mallard and its record-breaking run. And, and these trains, they were responding to demand, weren't they? The LNER very much focused in the 1920s, particularly on the London to Scotland route. They wanted to attract, should we say, wealthier individuals, upper middle class people, but they wanted to tap that market and grow it in the face of competition from buses uh, and the road. In in lots of rural routes, they were in in severe competition with um, buses, but this was the one thing that they could excel at. They long distance travel remained the preserve of railways. you know, it, it remained the preserve of railways for decades and decades after smaller routes suffered from road competition. And now on the LNER Fast Track podcast, we take a look back at another emotional day for two families who came on board the 1002 York to London service to remember a record-breaking run, the Mallard Speed Run of July the 3rd, 1938. I mean, I'm very, very proud of my grandfather and um, 
at the end of the day, to, to have the chance to be present on the 85th anniversary is just wonderful. Well, that's just part of a brilliant video which you can see on LNER's social media feeds. And we'll hear more from the families in a moment. But first, let's talk to Tim Dunn, the railway historian, and get a bit of background. Mallard was designed by the famous Sir Nigel Gresley, who was the locomotive engineer or chief mechanical engineer for the first LNER company. But it was beautiful. It was styled after the Bugatti uh, cars at the time, this Art Deco sort of swoop at the front. It was streamlined. It was designed to look like it was going forward and it was made to the station to get the station. So they selected some people to drive the train uh, on that day and this train consisted of uh, some ordinary or fairly ordinary passenger cars behind, a dynamometer car, which was a technology, it's like a, a measuring car behind, and the locomotive itself. And they head off south. Uh, unlike other countries, the world speed record here was set up to be downhill, <laughs> not on the flat. But anyway, here in the UK, we set ours down Stoke Banks. So this whole thing is set up to be a winner from the start. It's been set up with a driver and a fireman who are known of being a bit maverick. So you've got driver Joe Duddington aboard, who's known for his work on the LNER. But frankly, pushing the envelope a bit, perhaps pushing the speed limit a little bit too fast. He's put on the run, as is Tommy Bray, his fireman. And the two of them, there's this crack team of, of individuals. And behind this dynamometer car, set up technology to measure the train, the Grizzly aboard as well. This whole thing is set up to be an event. And off they go, heading down from Grantham, down Stoke Bank. And eventually, they hit 126, I think 126.5 miles an hour is actually the top speed they hit. What's remarkable, of course, we think that now, that isn't too far what we're off doing now, 125 miles now. But imagine that back then. We've got, frankly, track that is being built far in advance 938 in 60-foot short sections, cobbled together with these, these bolted-together fish, fish plates, and, and carriages made of wood in, in many instances, yeah. doing 126 miles an hour. Now, it just touches that, and then it, it pulls back, and they have to put the brakes on, and off they, they, they go in, in towards Peterborough. <laughs> So do you think when Mallard did that record, breaking run then, there was quite an element of danger? Oh, hugely. I mean, it's one of those of tales of daring do that you, you, you find sort of, in the sort of only you know, sort of for boys' manuals here of the 1950s and 60s. You know, they get those back then, but even when I was at school back in the 80s, we talk about Mallard and, and this, these kind of these intrepid sort of fireman and driver. I mean, there is an element of, of a danger involved, and so, of course there is, but you know, the railway is inherently a safe place. Um, back then, not quite as safe as it is now, but certainly putting on a boat like that in a, in a place where the health safety was a little bit less rigorous, shall we say? Yeah, the, 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 that carriage, you can be sure, you know, behind a dynamometer car, would be sort of herring about side to side. You know, you can imagine it. Unless they whacked on those brakes, you know, crockery was going flying all over the place. I love the enthusiasm that you get from Tim Dunn, the railway historian there. Also on board, Philip Benham, a former BR manager. He's now chairman of the Gresley Society. Well, you have to remember that Sir Nigel Gresley was the first person to really develop the idea of a high-speed train in this country. His streamlined trains were the streamlined A4 Pacifics. Uh, It was the first time a whole train had been designed for high speed. The the record run on the 3rd of July 1938 was an epitome of that, really. It was the ultimate triumph. And, of course, it's never been beaten in the last 85 years. So it was a very special event and a very special day. Did they have this vision, then, of what we have now, what we're on now, which is a regular 125-mile-per-hour service? Uh, Certainly of having a network of high-speed trains on the East Coast Main Line. This was very much the LNER vision. 
uh, developed by the, the general manager, uh, Ralph Wedgwood, and, uh, and Sir Nigel Gresley, of course. Um, Germany had introduced a high-speed diesel train um, between Berlin and Hamburg, and um, inquiries were made as to whether uh, the LNER should, should, should actually buy one or buy a number to operate high-speed trains on the East Coast Main Line. Sir Nigel believed that the same thing could be done, if not better, by steam. And certainly the comfort of the streamlined trains that were run on the East Coast Main Line, starting with the Silver Jubilee in 1935 between Newcastle and London, and then London to Edinburgh uh, with the Coronation and the West Riding trains to Leeds in 1937. Uh, and if the war had not come, I have no doubt we would have seen far more. Uh, perhaps we would then have seen the kind of regular pattern of high-speed trains that probably because of the war was put back what 25 30 years that's philip benham and he is the chairman of the gresley society so sir nigel gresley's mallard was revolutionary the design was incredible but what was he like as a person well one of the special guests on board was sir nigel's grandson ben godfrey although he died a year before i was born my mother who had uh, was his elder daughter had looked after him after his own wife died at the end of the 1920s. And um, so she had a very, very close bond with him and travelled extensively with him. And so everything that, uh, that, that we knew about him came from her. Well, she said that he was a man who, first of all, was amazingly talented. He was a man who had friends, certainly throughout Europe and in many other places who were in the engineering business and he had this unique ability of listening to what other people were doing and what they were achieving and wasn't afraid to take best advice from anybody who wanted to tell him and equally he gave people who perhaps needed advice help with what they were trying to do and he was also a very popular person. He had a very wide circle of friends and uh, my mother always used to say that he was the life and soul of any party. I just wish I'd met him. Although he died in 1941, I was lucky enough to know very well Sir William Stadnier, who was the chief mechanical engineer of the LMS, who was a great friend and rival of my grandfather. And I knew Sir William very well. Oh, did you? Right. And uh, his daughter was my godmother. They had great respect for each other because yeah. that's the sort of people they were. And the, the whole point about it was that anything that happened was equally competitive between them. For example, you know, when the LMS achieved the intermediate sort of record of 108 and then 114 miles an hour, um, the reason why. My grandfather sort of pursued the, the record with, with Mallard, which is what we're commemorating today, was because he just wanted to get one over on him. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're on the train that we came down on at the moment, and we're going to have to get off in a moment because the cleaners are here we're at King's Cross. But tell me briefly, what was it like being in the cab today for you? Absolutely amazing. I've, I've, I've been on a lot of footplates, on a lot of steam locomotives. Today was just totally different. Is it the first time you've been in a cab at that speed? It is. Yeah, and everything's coming at you, bang, bang, signal, bridge, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and, and with a very good 
tutor behind me telling me all that was about to happen and why, it, it, it just made the journey so much better and I thought it was wonderful. Thanks to Ben Godfrey, Sir Nigel Gresley's grandson, for talking to me. I also got to speak to Matthew Delaney too. His great-grandfather was Joe Duddington who, of course, drove the Mallard during its record-breaking run. We'll hear from him in a moment, but first, this is him uh, in the cab as the train goes past the point just south of Grantham where the record was broken. My great-grandfather's on this, on this section of line. Going for a record? Just going for a world record. Yes. Just a, just a, a 61-year-old bloke. And everyone's right there. Because he knew no fear. And now I'm sat here, it's five years later. The golf is so proud. The train itself, being at, at York, is part of the family because he, that's what the story in the family is. The Mallard is part of the family because it was Great Grandad Joe's. We only know the stories from our parents and grandparents of Great Grandad Joe being a typical sort of Yorkshireman, the fearless kind of Yorkshireman that would push things a little bit more than what they, what other people would. The railways were his life, and that kind of thing was just his job. Whatever it took to do his job was was what it was all about. What was it like in the cab today for you then? That was an incredibly emotional experience for several reasons. One being, I wish my mother, grandmother, would have been around to appreciate what what's happened today or even have been here today and the feeling of how proud there must have there must be for great grandson to be on there being there and doing the thing that 85 years ago happened extremely emotional extremely proud extremely thankful to LNER for putting this on and when we actually passed the mile marker I can actually feel the emotion welling up now I know I can see well we passed that marker then it, it just came out. Yeah. It's just I was, I was in the same place as my great granddad. Doing, doing the same doing speed. The, doing the same speed he did. Yeah. I never thought for a minute that I'd, I'd ever be in that sort of position. But that's the incredible thing yeah. about it is being in the cab there and feeling 125 miles an hour. It didn't feel like 125 miles an hour at all. But to think that he was open to the elements with Tommy Bray and. and Sid Jenkins doing that with the amount of effort that they had to do it and the danger that was involved in doing it and that back in 1938 126 miles an hour on an engine that was only four months old and the movement the noise the sound the smells to to push it to that and he, he still he said he could have got 130 but the old girl didn't want to do 130 it did what it needed to do to to go down in history and that's what that's what makes it special today is that that I've actually sat at the front and you know saluted him. It's just it's just an incredible feeling. And I I know that the rest of the family would have liked to have been here. I know my mum, my grandma, everybody that was especially my grandma, and well, you know, would be extremely proud of what we've done today. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this special LNER Fast Track podcast looking at two LNER giants. I know I certainly have. Thank you for listening. I'm David Dunning. We'll be back with another one very soon.